All across America and around the world, this is Veterans Radio. This is Veterans Radio. And now, your host for today's program, Dale Throneberry. And welcome to Veterans Radio. My name is Dale Throneberry, uh, CW2 helicopter pilot in Vietnam, 1969. Welcome to our program and Happy New Year, everybody out there. 2024. Just let that number sink in. 2024. Ooh, <laughs> that sounds impossible. Um, hey, we're really excited to have you here. Our guest has, has become a kind of a tradition with us is Re- Dr. Rebecca Grant. She's going to be here to talk about what happened in 2023 and, you know, a few projections into what may happen in 2024. So I want to make sure that you have the phone number if you'd like to ask her a question. Uh, the number is 734-822-1600. Um, you know, we have a lot of things that we're going to be talking about in just a little bit. So I want to make sure that you are ready with your questions. You know, I, I, was, I was looking back at, um, in our archives of veteransradio.org. And I think the first time that Dr. Grant was on our program was in 2012. So, you know, it's sort of like the Saturday Night Live thing where she's been the, the guest the most times on our program. So, uh, as I said, we're excited to have her back on again. And uh, we're going to be talking, as I mentioned, about all kinds of different things that are going on out there. But before we get along too far, I want to make sure that we thank our loyal sponsors. Uh, you know, Veterans Radio, we can't do this at all without our sponsors and without you as our listeners, you know, making our donations throughout the year that keeps us on the air. So first of all, we've got Legal Help for Veterans. Uh, Legal Help for Veterans specializes in veterans' disability claims. You can give Legal Help for Veterans a call at 800-693-4800, or you can go to their website, legalhelpforveterans.com. I'm reminded to tell you that you may want to give them a call because there are some changes going on with the VA as far as disability claims are concerned. And some more benefits that maybe uh, you may be uh, eligible for. So I want to make sure that you tune into our last program of the month because we're going to be talking all about the changes, not only in the disability rates that are out there and the increase, you know, the COLA increase in the disability payouts, but also some of the change in um, uh, what am I thinking of here? Some of the conditions. That's what I'm thinking. <laughs> the conditions that uh, have been added to the list of uh, potential claims that you can make with that. So make sure you tune in on that last Sunday of the month or our last program of the month, wherever you are listening to Veterans Radio. Well, the National Veterans Business Development Council, better known as NVBDC, is the nation's leading third-party authority for certification of veteran-owned businesses. For more information, you can go to their website. That's nvbdc.org. Or give them a call at 888 237 8433. That's 888-237-8433. And I, I just want to remind uh, those of you out there listening that are a veteran-owned business, if you want to do business with the federal government and with many corporations, you need to become certified as a true, real, live veteran-owned business. There are some companies out there that have a couple of veterans on their work staff, and they claim to be veteran-owned, but they're not. So if you are a veteran-owned business, you really should get yourself certified because it gets moves you up to the top of the list as far as some contracts with the federal government. And as I mentioned, 
some corporations are looking for veteran-owned businesses to do business with. So check out that mvbdc.org. They're the top organization in the country that does the certification. Uh, the Charles S. Kettles VA Medical Center here in Ann Arbor, Michigan, we think it's one of the finest medical centers in the VA uh, hospital program out there. For more information, you can go to va.gov slash Ann Arbor Healthcare. We'd also like to thank our local veterans organizations for their longtime support. Those of you that are just tuning in for the first time, Veterans Radio has been broadcasting uh, for over 20 years now. And uh, we got started through the with the help of these organizations and a lot of friends, better known as Buddy Money, that got us on the air and we're still on because of them. But uh, number one is the Erwin um, Presscorn American Legion, post number 46, and the Charles S. Kettles Vietnam Veterans of America, Chapter 310, both of Ann Arbor, Michigan. As I mentioned, you know, we cannot do this program without their support and without your support, too. So if you'd like to support Veterans Radio, we would love to have you go to our website. That's veteransradio.org and click on the donate button. And your donation to Veterans Radio is tax deductible. Pretty cool, right? Um, So please do that. The other thing I need to point out on our website is that we do have some new clothing and um things that are available through our uh, VX there. So you can just click on merchandise and you'll see the new shirts and hats and cups and mugs and all kinds of things that are available there for your purchase. Um, since we're doing radio, you can't see the new sweatshirt I have on, but it's really neat. <laughs> so you can get it, get this on our website. All right. So again, remember the phone number is, 734-822-1600. All right, we're coming up here with our guest, and um, let me read her incredible credentials here. So it says, Dr. Rebecca Grant is a national security analyst and the president of Iris Independent Research. Iris is a women, woman-owned business that specializes in defense and aerospace research and consulting. Dr. Grant has been the uh, president of Iris for over 18 years now. Uh, Iris Research is uh, is involved in different projects, including the analysis of the autonomy of the future future battlefields and Tier 1 suppliers in the uh, defense industrial base for the U.S. Air Force. On top of that, uh, Iris has worked on the assessment of long-range strikes, evaluation of surveillance and reconnaissance, recapitalization for industry clients, and evaluation of intelligence for clients. Whew. Uh, Dr. Grant began her professional career with the Rand Corporation in Santa Monica, California. Likewise, she has worked at the Pentagon uh, as the Air Force on the Air Force <laughs> Chief of Staff and on the Chief of Staff of the Air Force. Get my words mixed up here. Um, apart from that, she's a guest speaker on air power and technology at different venues, from active duty Air Force units to Wall Street investors. She's also lectured at the United States Air Force Air. Air University and to the Air Forces of the United Kingdom, Netherlands, Italy, Turkey, and Australia. I'm doing all this to make you know that this woman knows what she's talking about. And uh, not only has she been on Veterans Radio many, many times, she's also been on um, Fox News, CNN, MSNBC, Fox Business. Uh, she has written also written over 100 articles for Air Force Magazine. So welcome back our expert in foreign policy and all things military, Dr. Rebecca Grant. Welcome back. 
Dale, I'm so glad to be back and speaking with you on Veterans Radio. You know, looking at 2024, there are just flashpoints at every point on the compass. And I know we're going to talk through a lot of the big topics from China, Ukraine, technology, all that. I'm delighted to be back with you. Well, I, we are always delighted to have you on the program because you are our expert source of what really is going on out there. So let's, let's take a look back in time just a little bit to see where we stand at the end of 2023. I think it's 2023. These numbers are astronomical to me to even think about 21st century. Um, So what what do you think was the biggest news story or or story as far as our our foreign policy was in 2023? Was it China, Korea, Ukraine, Israel? Where would you like to start? Deal. All of those are good contenders, and you know, I'm tempted, of course, to start with Israel. But if I had to say, what's the number one ongoing story and driver of instability, and that is China. You know, we talked about this is the year 2023 going into 2024. You know, we are well into the 21st century. And I think in Washington, D.C. now, there's no question but that the driving global issue is the role of China in the world. They've formed this alliance with Russia that started back in 2022. China buys oil from Iran and gives them free reign to conduct a lot of mischief. And then China's own military has just advanced so far in a short time. You know, luckily, China doesn't have any recent combat experience, and we sure want to keep it that way. But there's no question that China is really uh, the source of so much of the instability in the world. Not the only one, but it's the one that's on the rise. And it's funny you mentioned Wall Street. I actually just got back from uh, New York a few days ago and speaking with uh, at an investor conference on Wall Street. And there again, no question, but what they're really looking to see what the confrontation with China holds for the defense sector. And, and may I also say that 2023 was the year that China took back its pandas from the National oh. Zoo in DC. Everyone was sorry to see them leave, you know, but uh, China has built a big panda reserve in China, um, where Pandas will live in the wild. But, you know, if you think back to the 1970s, the reason that China gave us pandas was to be friends with the United States. And uh, that they don't care anymore. There are still a couple pandas at the Atlanta Zoo. But the era of panda diplomacy is over. And it just shows you that China is in a completely different place. They are not our friends. They don't care to be our friends. And we've really got to keep an eye on them. There are a couple glimmers of hope in China that we can talk about uh, later on. But no question, I'd say the number one story remains um, the rise of China. And China, of course, enabling Russia to carry on its illegal invasion and horrible operations in Ukraine. Right. So, but the, the, the Chinese economy is not doing too well, is it? The Chinese economy is not doing as well as it was a few years ago. A couple of factors there, uh, their COVID recovery, their uh, overheated property market, 
um, some demographic factors that are catching up with them. But when we say not doing as well, what we mean is that they're not seeing the double-digit yearly growth. Now, their economy, the numbers they report to us are a little bit smoke and mirrors, Mm -hmm. but their rate of growth has slowed. Another interesting trend is that there has been a decline in foreign direct investment in China. There's still a lot of U.S. dollars and other Western um, currencies flowing into China for investment, but some of that has stopped. But, but you know, you wouldn't know it to look at their their political destabilization. A couple big things they did in 2023, they added um, more countries to what they call the BRICS initiative, which used to stand for Brazil, Russia, blah, blah, blah. It's sort of an alternate economic form where China is attempting to use their own currency as a reserve currency for payment of certain transactions. And this is real technical Wall Street stuff, but it's a direct challenge to the primacy of the American dollar, which is something that, Dale, in the the years that you and I have been alive, we've never lived in a world where the dollar wasn't king. China's attempting to make some dents on that. And they've also continued to work hard with their own uh, Belt and Road Initiative, which is the investments that China makes in a big range of other countries. They like to buy up infrastructure and fund infrastructure development projects. You know, China uh, has an ownership share in about 90% of Europe's port facilities. So that's one example of their Belt and Road Initiative. So although their own economy is cooling their global reach and their global economic activity is still very much on the rise. Well, I know here locally um, in in the state of Michigan, there was a a conductor, some sort of conductor plant that they wanted to build here in Michigan. And uh, that's been toned down quite a bit. Uh, the, The people in the area where they wanted to build their plant, you know, kind of got, you know, riled up about it. And I'm not sure if they, they completely pulled out or not, but I know that the whole thing was scaled back dramatically. Yes, that's a great example. And we're only just beginning to look around and say, wow, look, there's some Chinese ownership in that. You know, as an open capitalist society, uh, we transact business. If you got the money, you can meet the regulations. You can right. do business here. We do have a group in Washington that screens the top level investments. You know, if you tried to sell a major defense contractor to the Chinese, the, the government would say, nope, stop. You know, it's called the Committee on Foreign Investment in the U.S. But they have typically only screened for a certain range of products. No one's been looking at manufacturing facilities, farmland purchases, um, and other things that seem innocuous. And in the era of a few years ago, where we were still trying to be friendly with China, that was no big deal. Now it's a great concern. And of course, there was a, a big controversy over Chinese investment in North Dakota. They wanted to build a wet corn milling facility in a really odd place. And it happened to be near an Air Force base. Where the government is intending to set up, among other things, a hypersonic vehicle test range. So you know what? Chinese mm-hmm. wanted to buy that. They've bought up land around another Air Force base in, uh, on the West Coast. So it, it's really time for everybody at the local level to look for that second layer of Chinese ownership 
and question, hmm, is this really what we need to do? You know, of course, China already owns Smithfield, the major pork producer. Yes. And in fact, they control about 30% of worldwide hogs and hog production. So um, that just shows you that, you know, yeah, the, the economy may be cooling, but their economic power and their march to uh, be what Xi Jinping, their leader, wants, which is for China to be the number one world power. He hates the United States and is doesn't like our way of life and wants to defeat us on every level, including local investment. Which is kind of interesting when you think about what they're doing is is kind of a you know capitalistic type of thing to do is to purchase it all and and uh you know raise prices depending on supply and demand and so on and so forth you know parts of of the um southeast asia was, was something i was just thinking about while you were talking is you know when, when vietnam fell and you know became quote a communist country if you go over there now which i have not but in what my, my reading is is that it's 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 kind of this mix of I don't know how you can do it, but it's a kind of a mix of communism and capitalism because there are condos all along the South China Sea now. There are, there's manufacturing going on. There even even the hats that we get for the Vietnam veterans of America are made in Vietnam. A little ironic, I think. It has changed so much, and the way that China does it is they do use capitalist business practices, but they have a lot of laws that state that there has to be communist Chinese party ownership of all the business ventures. And the, the, they don't have the same kind of privacy and intellectual property protection laws that we have. Mm-hmm. As you know, it's a one party state. It's run by the Chinese communists ever since they won the war back in 1949. Mm-hmm. It's the same outfit that is running the place. And Xi Jinping is his dad was in that. And, you know, so they mix the capitalist tools and use their, you know, very favorable exchange rates and their foreign investment leverage. So they make a lot of, you know, they do well with it, but it doesn't go back down through society. It stays very much within that communist party elite. Of course, for a long time, they also had a one child policy. So families could only have one child makes them actually a largely a nation of only children. So there's mm. been a real trend to pass and to keep that elite within the elite. And honestly, Dale, you know, to a great extent, a lot of the students that we see in Western countries, there are about uh, 295,000 Chinese students here in America. I'm telling you, these are not the kids off the street of Guangzhou, right? These are are the elite of the Communist Party. Right. Uh, oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um it's just frightening to think about, you know, what, what, what China is up to and, and, you know, that we, we allow them to, it seems like we are allowing them to get away with some of this stuff when they do make their purchases, you know, of land or equipment or factories or whatever it is here. I think we need to be a little bit more, uh, cognizant and aware of what is really going on to be, I think we have to be more careful. Yes. And my single, my single favorite example is don't forget. President Xi Jinping, his daughter went to Harvard under a different name. So, (laughs) you know, we look at that as, oh, great, maybe they'll be more friendly to us. But no, 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 that's not really, that's not really how it works. So we have to be much more aware that China is our number one rival. You know, the Biden administration has done um, a a good job in some ways with that. They kept a lot of the tariffs. They've been uh, very supportive of um, uh, changing semiconductor manufacturing, the CHIPS Act and all of that. 
Uh, on the other hand, they've really said, oh, you know, we're going to keep the national security stuff under careful watch, but they've been very uh, solicitous of China. All the major cabinet officials traveled to China this year, or most of them anyway. So, you know, we're waiting to see. And I think we just need to have a, a little bit of a tougher policy. You know, again, talking about what I was hearing in New York, I mean, the question is really how much do you decouple from China's economy or de-risk? And China itself has been very uh, aggressive. They've, you know, raided a couple of U.S. firms that do business there. There are 1,100 U.S. firms in China, and they've had their records raided under some weird laws. So, you know, it's, there's a risk ultimately to shareholders, too. So the American business community has a lot to think about going forward. Right. I just think it's another one of those examples of we got to make we got to pay closer attention to really what's going on around not only the world, but especially in our local areas. All right, so moving off from, from China from last year, we'll, we'll, we'll come back to them a little bit uh, later on. I guess the big news item, of course, is the um, the Hamas and, and Israel war that's going on currently. So where where do we see that going? Or where and, do you see that maybe going? Well, Israel has announced just in the last day or two a plan for the governance of Gaza uh, you know, as you know, Israel has conducted its operations in the northern part of Gaza and is, I think, completed a lot of their objectives there. They've swung their attention now down south. Their goal is to eliminate Hamas military capability. The plan that they've talked about would have Israel control a lot of the access in Gaza, have a multinational group, um, you know, quote unquote, led by the U.S., but with a lot of other participation and particularly Arab state participation that would deal with the day to day in Gaza. Egypt would monitor and control the Rafa gate, which, frankly, they already do. Uh, and so, you know, what we see here is Israel, I think, way more than halfway to completing their military objectives um, of course, the conflict itself was, it took everybody by surprise. You know, our national security advisor, Jake Sullivan, had stated a week before the attack that the Middle East had never been so quiet yeah. as it was. And, and of course, Israel's forces were surprised by the scope and the tactics of the attack. And what's followed since has been a, a tragedy on so many levels. U.S. policy has been very clear, though, from the beginning uh, to support Israel's military efforts to restore their security. You know, previously, the Israeli-Hamas conflicts had largely been missile exchanges. Back in 2021, in the spring, there was about a two-and-a-half-week missile war. We saw shots of Iron Dome picking off a lot of the Hamas missiles. And that came to an end when Egypt negotiated a ceasefire. And while there was considerable loss of life, it was nothing like on the scale that we've seen this time. So this attack and then Israel's massive response has been just at a whole nother order. I think if there is any good coming out of this, it is that behind the scenes, a lot of the Arab states don't like this either. You know, Hamas mm -hmm. is not super popular in that region. Uh, a number of the Arab states have, you know, funded Hamas off and on, but I think they've all been privately horrified at what at the chaos this has created. And so... That's why you've really seen the nation of Qatar in particular 
stepping in as a very active intermediary, helping to secure the initial uh, hostage releases that we saw several weeks ago and still negotiating there under, you know, really very tough circumstances. Uh, anyway, the officials in Qatar said something I thought was was pretty significant, that they, they want to see this set of ceasefire negotiations be the basis for a more lasting peace. And it also, there was a little incident that really caught my eye when in the middle of the hostage releases, some negotiations had broken down and uh, emissaries from Qatar actually flew into Tel Aviv, which has never happened before. They had to fly. It was so odd that the plane had to go out to Cyprus and come then back to Tel Aviv to get the diplomatic clearance. Uh, so at least there you had Gutter and Israel talking. So there is, I think, at least a chance that we may see a more solid framework come out of this. There had been, of course, the, the encouraging progress on the Abraham Accords with several countries normalizing their relations with Israel and Saudi Arabia and Israel getting closer to taking a step towards being um, in a better relationship. The Hamas attack derailed all that. But the one glimmer of hope is that this may, you know, this is really, uh, this has gone way too far in so many ways. And there could be a stronger ceasefire basis. The U.S. policy, of course, still very firm on a two-state solution. Um, and it's been interesting to watch how closely the Biden administration has worked with the Israeli government and Israeli defense forces. It's clear they're talking on a regular basis and the Biden administration insisting on Israel sticking with the rules of war, mm-hmm. but also giving Israel um, extensive support, everything from intelligence down to small arms ammunition. Oh. We're talking with Dr. Rebecca Grant here on Veterans Radio. And uh, while we're in the Middle East, we might as well continue on. What is going on with Iran? Iran, uh, do we have three or four hours? No, we've only got about 20 minutes. <laughs> 20 minutes. So it, think of it, it's not just one Iran problem. There's a bunch of layers. You know that Iran, of course, supports a numerous terrorist organizations throughout the Middle East, including the Houthis, including Hamas. All the missiles that uh, Hamas likes to fire, they get from Iran. Of course, Iran supports Hezbollah up in Lebanon. Luckily, they are, you know, pretty much staying on the sidelines. But there's there's another layer to this as well. It's not just about Israel. Iran has a longstanding ambition to push the U.S. out of the Middle East. And the way that they carry this out is the attacks on our U.S. forces. Remember, we still have U.S. forces uh, working in multinational coalitions, We have them in Syria, where they are guarding a couple key points and the oil fields to make sure ISIS can't come back. We have forces in Iraq um, under Operation Inherent Resolve uh, and, you know, and at various other places throughout the region. Of course, a huge air base at uh, Al-Udid and Ghadr. So with Iraq and Syria, Iran has sponsored a range of groups that target U.S. forces there. And so just last week, we saw uh, the, the uh, actually a drone strike carried out against a terrorist figure. He was a leader of an Iranian-sponsored militia in Iraq. There are about 80 of these. They've been there a long time. Any of you, your veterans who are veterans of Iraq's 
and Afghanistan and Syria, you know, they, you all know this really, really well, right? I mean, you've, you've had that incoming fire, a lot of it from these groups. So this drone strike, um, was a little bit unusual in that it was a, a very targeted taking out of this Iraqi militia terrorist target. And this is not government of Iraq, right? These are the, the right. roving bands that are supported by Iran. So, um, and then of course there's the peace in the Red Sea, which is, you know, honestly, really, it's a whole nother discussion, but you have the Houthi rebels who are, have a very fragile ceasefire down in Yemen. They took over Yemen, you know, years and years ago now and took over the capital. Um, you know, UN doesn't recognize them. But Iran has sponsored and enabled a lot of the attacks on our Red Sea shipping. We had, um, I think, a total now of 33 attacks against international shipping in the Red Sea. And most of it has been um, countered by our U.S. Navy forces there. So the destroyer USS Kearney has, I think, probably taken out the most drones, uh, missiles, you name it. A number of other destroyers have moved into the Red Sea to continue doing this. So the rules of engagement say if something gets within 10 miles of one of our destroyers at a, the wrong heading, well, it's fair game and it can be taken out. But you know what Iran wants to do with this overall? They have, they have managed to shut down most of the shipping in the Red Sea. And this is, you know, somewhere between 15 and 25% of global shipping. So you've got your major companies, Maersk, heck, even the Chinese won't go up in there. There's too much risk of the attacks from the Iran has trained and sponsored the Houthi rebels of Yemen to attack global shipping. And Iran even said, oh, next we're going to go up in the Mediterranean and close the Straits of Gibraltar. Well, good luck with that. They're yeah. not the best naval warfare tacticians. But they are having an impact. And so this is part of Iran's multi-layered policy, not only to combat Israel's presence, but to push U.S. forces out. And I think, you know, certainly in Washington, I hear a lot of speculation about the need for the U.S. with our allies to strike a bit harder. And we actually have not struck back at any of the land-based Houthi you know, missile sites and things where they're launching this stuff. So I wouldn't be surprised to see that type of attack place take place in 2024. There was a new coalition called Operation Prosperity Guardian that is was put together by our fifth fleet out there in Bahrain to um, combat some of this. And there's some allied destroyers and, and other ships up in that area. Oh, oh, and of course, a Chinese quote-unquote anti-piracy task force that sits right down at the entrance to the Red Sea off Djibouti, where China has a big base and watches all this going on. So, you know, Iran is has not managed to widen the Gaza war, but they are carrying out, through proxies, a pretty heavy campaign against international shipping up in the Red Sea. Well, you know, you never... You never really think about those things. You know, you read the news. Oh, the, you know, the Middle East is exploding here and exploding there. And, it's, you know, as, as we mentioned before, we went on the air. They've been exploding for over, you know, thousands of years, it seems. And uh, they just can't get along uh, for what, you know, for whatever reason. But, you know, the, the interesting thing was, like, was it last week when somebody dropped a missile or a drone in on, on Iran? 
Yes. So add one more layer, which is actually these were two IEDs that exploded in Karnan City near a shrine in Iran. The death toll was, unfortunately, of civilians was pretty high, somewhere between 80 and 90 people. They blew up a shrine and they, in this case, was a group that your listeners will recognize, none other than the Islamic State one of the Islamic State factions that has been able to infiltrate into Iran, either through the Afghanistan border, Iran and Afghanistan have a long border, and that we think that's probably how it happened. They had carried out, IS had carried out some attacks in Iran back in 2018, and they actually did a small one back in late in August of 2023. But this one was much bigger. The uh the issue here is these are Sunni groups, and of course, Iran is Shia, and that's why they're attacking um, Iran's shrine. So uh, ugly, ugly all the way around. But, you know, I think in in a sense, Iran sort of holds a losing hand here because they aren't able to counter U.S. military forces. You know, when we sent the two carrier strike groups back in October, Ambassadors all around the region registered, wow, that's a really strong signal. You know, Turkey was very impressed. Others were very impressed. And Iran, talk about economy. Iran's economy is terrible. If it were not for China buying their oil, they would just be nowhere at all. Yet China is very reluctant to invest. You know, China likes to do all these infrastructure investments, but they really Mm -hmm. hold back on Iran because it's a mess. Very unfortunate. Iran, you know, incredible culture. Um, but I, I think they hold a losing hand in the long run. And I think that's one reason that they're so desperate to get the Houthis and Hamas going, because really the trend was toward more Arab reconciliation with the state of Israel. And Iran doesn't like that one little bit. Well, we're talking with uh, Dr. Rebecca Grant here. We've kind of uh, dissected what's going on in the Middle East, and uh, we're going to take a quick break here for our uh, Medal of Honor segment. And when we come back, we're going to be going Take a look at Korea and what's happening there and then uh, Taiwan and all the elections that are going to be occurring in 2024 all around the world. And uh, I did not forget Ukraine. We'll be coming back to that. as well. So you're listening to Veterans Radio. We'll be right back after this short message. The Medal of Honor is the highest award for valor in combat given a member of the Armed Forces of the United States. There have been over 3,400 recipients of the nation's highest award. This is one of them. Lieutenant J.G. William Hall pressed the attack, although seriously wounded during the Battle of the Coral Sea. Details after this. If you have a VA claim denied by the Board of Veterans' Appeals, contact Legal Help for Veterans at 1-800-693-4800. They're experts in handling cases before the U.S. Court of Appeals for Veterans' Claims. Their number again, 1-800-693-4800. Hall was the pilot of a scouting plane in action against enemy Japanese forces in the Coral Sea. In a determined attack on 7th of May, 1942, Hall dove his plane at an enemy Japanese aircraft carrier, contributing materially to the destruction of that vessel. On the 8th of May, facing heavy and fierce fighter opposition, he again displayed extraordinary skill as an airman and the aggressive spirit of a fighter in a repeated, and effective counterattacks against the superior number of enemy planes in which three enemy aircraft were destroyed. Though seriously wounded in this engagement, Hall succeeded in landing his plane safe. The Medal of Honor series is a production of Veterans Radio. Military veterans touch everyone's life. I'm guessing right now you're thinking of a veteran, a close friend, 
relative, maybe it's you. Even the toughest of us sometimes need help, but don't know where to turn for support. You don't need special training to help a veteran in your life. We can all help someone going through a difficult time. Learn how you can be there for veterans. Visit VeteransCrisisLine.net. VeteransCrisisLine.net. A message from the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs. We are back here on Veterans Radio with Dr. Rebecca Grant, National Security Analyst and President of Iris Independent Research. And we just got done dissecting the Middle East, and now we're going to kind of uh, let's go let's go north toward Ukraine and see what's what is happening there. Ah, uh, Ukraine in February. You know, we're coming up on two years of war, and I was just privileged to hear. Ukraine's defense attache, who is a major general based here in the United States, to hear him talk. And it, it was at a time when uh, there had been a number of Russian airstrikes, and there had been, in fact, 10 Russian hypersonic missiles launched against Kiev and other targets. And fortunately, the air defenses of run by Ukraine had taken all of them out, which is quite amazing. Now, those air defenses include U.S. defenses and a lot of things contributed from Europe, sort of all clued together, Patriot, Hawk, everything, attempting to intercept these missiles. But what's unfortunate here is, you know, Ukraine is still really fighting for their very existence. Their front is 800 miles long. And that's then, of course, without, you know, the airstrikes that are going on. I think we were disappointed in 2023 not to see a, a follow-up um, success in the South with the offensive done by Ukraine. And, you know, I think what really happened here is that Russia had gone in and, and emplaced a lot of landmines in late 2022, and it was just more really than Ukraine could do with the weapons at hand. You remember this is like a World War One battlefield, but with drones and much better uh, surveillance and much better connectivity. But Ukraine, we have not given them any significant enhanced aircraft. So this is a war being fought without air power for the first time, really, in a 100 years. And we've been rather slow, although we've given a lot of, of good systems. It's been um, slow and in probably smaller numbers than what they really need. Ukraine is still in a position where if they can break through the minefields around Kherson, which is down in the south, I think they still have a good opportunity to wrap up and move around and envelop some of the Russian forces there. The other key is they've been able to do two things. One, they've really disabled the Russian Black Sea fleet. It just doesn't move anywhere anymore. And could a bit of it's on the bottom of the Black Sea, thanks to Ukraine. Uh, also, just in the last few days, we've seen an increase in strikes on Crimea, which, of course, is the area that Russia took over in 2014, stuffed with military bases, a big airfield, all of that. Putin really wants to keep it uh, it's by law. It belongs to Ukraine. And we've seen attacks on Crimea. I think if those step up, those could uh, possibly influence Putin as well. But we're still waiting to see the one, the ability of Ukraine to hold in the east around the Donbass, which is what they really spent most of 2023 doing, and then whether they can take back more of their territory. 
On the good news side, they have been able to maintain transit out from Odessa, although Odessa has been attacked. It's one of their major Black Sea ports. It is still in Ukraine's hands, and that gives them somewhat of a potentially viable economy. But, you know, Ukraine's attache to the United States just made so very clear that Ukraine, they will never give up. They do not want American uh, ground forces. They don't want Europe's ground forces. They want to do it, he said, with our own hands. And if they lose and don't run out of weapons, they will fight with sticks. And if they lose that, well, Putin will come for the West. And, I, you know, I think it's a fair assessment. Um, question now about the aid packages. There is still an amount of the aid that's already been appropriated and not yet drawn down. But Congress is wrestling with aid for Ukraine, along with a couple other big national security issues, including military assistance to Israel and the status of the southern border. It will be at least February 2nd before that gets resolved, and it could go a bit later. So it could get a little bit darker before it gets lighter uh, with Ukraine. But Ukraine still, I think, has a very good chance. Nothing will happen until after the Russian elections in March, I reckon. But I think there is a chance after that for Ukraine to retake some more territory of their own territory, take it back, and end up with a more viable um, position and economy and a more long-term viability. Well, they, they are, well, you know, when you're fighting for your own house, you know, you, you would you just fight to the end and you would, you end up fighting with sticks if need be. And I think it's really important that we continue to support the Ukrainian people and their military. And, and I like, I do like the idea that they don't want our troops on the ground or anything. And, you know, it's 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 almost like a lend lease type of thing, you know. It just it, if we have this the weaponry that we can, you know, lend them or give them, why not? You know, we're, you know, we're still, you know, the, America is still the premier, I think, you know, country in the world. Is you know, people keep looking at us be, for help because we still are the only ones that have not the only ones, but we're the ones you know that have a semblance of freedom in our own land and that we have the abundance of, of our economy being able to help other people. And that's, you know, that's what we've done for 75 years. And, and I don't know, there, you know, there are people around that don't want to do it anymore. And there are people that say, we know we have to continue this because if we don't help them, as you mentioned earlier on, he's just going to, if he takes, you know, if he, if he takes over the Ukraine, he's going to continue moving you know, into all those satellite countries that used to be part of the, you know, the USSR. Yes, and Lend-Lease is the perfect example. Uh, and uh, some of the good points, we have a group of 50 other countries, including uh, Colombia, Ireland, South Korea, of course, all the NATO allies. That's the defense contact group, and that's the group that aids Ukraine. Um, you know, we've seen some really, really positive things with that. I understand here as Americans discuss, hey, what's really going on in Ukraine? Should we still be doing this? I, I think we should always ask questions because we are such a powerful nation, but we are the only ones that can coordinate this. That said, we've seen some amazing contributions from others in the world. And I want to single out South Korea which uh, lent about 500,000 artillery shells to Ukraine. It, when the Israel-Hamas conflict started, it turned out that Israel had supplied a lot of 155 uh, 
ammo to Ukraine as well. So there's been enormous effort to do that. Yet we've only given, uh, arranged really, really it's the Dutch that are giving F-16s to Ukraine. We are training the pilots, but it's just eight F-16s and they, they won't even be in combat until later on in 2024. So it's, we have to do it. They are, they more than deserve our support. Ukraine is supposed to have elections in March and ironically, President Zelensky was elected, oh, all the way back in 2019 on a pro-peace platform to try to negotiate with Russia. In fact, Ukraine is under martial law and I doubt they'll be able to hold elections. Remember, about three million Ukraine citizens are actually out living in Poland and other parts of Europe. But there's no question the Eastern Bloc, uh, former Eastern Bloc countries, anybody who borders Russia or Belarus, they feel that their security is very threatened. And I think the real bellwether response here in a way has been Germany, which has sent quite a bit of aid. I think half the Polish tank force is already in Ukraine and, Pol- and Poland is restocking. There's the, the Russian threat is here to stay. That's why you saw Finland and now Sweden joining NATO. So we really need to not let this drift and Ukraine does deserve another round of aid and then hopefully the weapons that will enable them to take back more of their territory. I certainly hope so, or at least hope so. Well, let's kind of move around to the other side of the world. You just mentioned South Korea providing a lot of ammunition to the Ukraine. Uh, their northern border with, with the North Korea is still pretty perilous, isn't it? Oh, things are bad over there. In fact, North Korea just did uh, a series of live fire drills a few days ago. They do those periodically every so many years, but it's a very bad sign. 2023 was a terrible year with North Korea. There were multiple missile tests, including a longer range missile. They did tests of solid fuel missile motors, and that's real bad because the liquid ones take longer to fuel up and they're easier to track. They did three attempts at a satellite launch and actually have one up. And possibly worst of all was the new alliance between North Korea and Russia. Russia's defense minister visited North Korea. North Koreans went to Moscow. Oh, my goodness. I mean, what's come out of that is North Korea supplying ammunition back to Russia to use in Ukraine, and you know North Korea is getting something out of that deal, and I, I'm afraid that it is advice on nuclear weapons development. North Korea wants to have a full nuclear triad like we have with submarine-launched missiles, intercontinental missiles, and possibly aircraft as well, and they've made tremendous strides. You know, Back in 2018, the Singapore summit, North Korea actually stopped testing all their missile testing for over a year. But now that has resumed faster than ever. And worst of all, no, the North Koreans are not talking to us again. Okay. This has happened in the past. You know, you remember the diplomacy with Trump and all the personal diplomacy and cards and all this. Well, now it's just complete silence over there. The good news is this has shifted the Japan, South Korea, U.S. alliance into overdrive. Remember, Japan and South Korea have some lingering animosity, actually a lot of lingering animosity from World War II. They have patched it up. And now we see Japan, South Korea, and the U.S. collaborating on a missile warning system, an integrated missile warning system, and that is directly to handle potential threats coming out of North Korea. Here again, we see China 
happy to let this go on because it bedevils the South Koreans, the Japanese, and us. So they're just as content right. to let North Korea play its mischief. Very, very, very bad year with North Korea. Well, I can imagine, you know, what Japan is going through, you know, it's really terrible times from, the, from you know, earthquakes and everything else that's going on over there. And, and to have to worry about, um, you know, North Korea with their weapons and so forth. How, how, um, how armed up is Japan? Are they, how are they planning uh, to prevent all this, you know, occurring? Japan is pretty armed up and they still have, of course, in fact, it's called the Japanese self-defense force, but they have uh, a Navy that has the Aegis a warning and fire control system that's an anti-missile system. They're constantly on the picket line along with us up there in the, in the Pacific. They have a highly capable air force. They are uh, building a new aircraft carrier, interestingly named the Kaga, which we sunk one of those by that name at Midway, but that's yes. still going to remember that name, but that's fine. They are now a really close, very, very capable military. And, but the issue there with everyone is, you know, do you have enough munitions? Do you have the depth? To counter this. And so the thing I like about the trilaterals, remember in, in the summer, leaders of Japan and South Korean President Biden all met at Camp David to cement this trilateral alliance. And that's going to be a very effective military counter to North Korea and also PS, by the way, also to China. Japan and South Korea very much supporting Taiwan's, the status quo in the Taiwan Strait. Mm-hmm. So that's the positive side of it is the reinvigoration of this alliance. I mean, I think it's the U.S. and Republic of Korea, known as South Korea, are just in about the best place that they've ever been. Oh, well, there's so many things going on and so little time to talk about them. Uh, we've got a couple of minutes left. And uh, one of your suggested topics was to talk about the C5M reverse air refueling test. Oh, I'm what is so that? glad. I, yes. So, you know, the C5M is our biggest cargo plane based out of Dover Air Force Base in Delaware, and you see one in flight, and it looks like some strange otherworldly animal. This is a massive, massive cargo plane. So on December 21st, a C-5M plugged into a KC-10, which is an air refueling aircraft, but they reversed the fuel flow. So the tanker up in the air here, right, took fuel from the C-5, and there's a picture, and it's just stunning because these are two enormous aircraft. They had to stay joined on the boom for 30 minutes, and the tanker was able to pick up about 20,000 pounds of fuel. Now, if you're a little fighter and you're refueling up at the tanker, you can get fuel flow at about six or 7,000 7, pounds a minute, so you're not up there a real long time. These guys had to fly together for 30 minutes, which is incredible station-keeping. My point here, though, Dale, is we got through the entire Cold War without having to have a C-5M reverse fuel a tanker. The reason they tried this was to see if they can do it because of combat in the Pacific. So if things really go badly with China, we need to have all this flexibility to continue to fly in blood, missiles, the logistics, and our Air Mobility Command and the Air Force is preparing the crews for this type of operation uh, but to see them do this, wow, that really told me how serious the threat is from China. Oof. Well, we have a lot of things. We covered a lot of topics today. Uh, we've been talking with Dr. Rebecca Grant here on Veterans Radio. And Dr. Grant will be back in the spring because we like to do this every quarter to see 
what is going on in the world. So, um, Dr. Rand, I want to thank you very, very much for being on Veterans Radio. As usual, I know we never solve all the problems, but we become a lot more aware of what's going on in the world. Thank you, Dale. And thanks, of course, to all our veterans for your service. Thank you. Okay. I For those of you out there that were listening, that this program will be up on our website probably a couple of hours and you can uh, review the uh, things that we talked about here on Veterans Radio. I'm, I'm always amazed by the information that we get from Dr. Grant because, you know, you try to watch the news and see what's going on, but they seem to be very much more involved in politics and who says this and who said what and so forth. So we really don't get the complete story. So it's just great that Dr. Grant was available to us. Um, as you mentioned that there's elections, you know, coming up in the rest of the world, but we've got some pretty important elections coming up here too. And I just wanted to make sure that, um, you know, our audience, you know, one of the things our founders, our founders said, you know, is that the individual elections are so important to our democracy and how we maintain our, our, um, you know, our form of government, which is really kind of fragile when you think about it. So I want to make sure that you all get out there and vote. And I don't care who you vote for. Well, you know, I do, but that's for another program. So I wanted to make sure that you do vote, because if you don't vote, you really can't complain about anything. And there are many examples out there of elections being decided by only one vote. And kind of the most famous one, I guess you could say, was Thomas Jefferson, Aaron Burr, where Jefferson picked up one vote in the Electoral College that beat Aaron Burr. And, you know, that was kind of a big deal. So you make sure that you do that. And so when candidates, you start thinking about the candidates that you're going to be looking at this year uh, to put back into the government, I want you to look at the Boy Scout law. This is very important to me. So whoever the candidate is, are they trustworthy? Are they loyal? Are they helpful? Are they friendly? Are they courteous? Are they kind? Are they obedient to the Constitution? Are they cheerful? Are they thrifty? Are they brave? Are they clean? And are they reverent? So just remember, though, that little list of words there and whatever candidate that you decide to support, make sure that they fit those categories, as many of those as possible, because we need to really start getting some really great candidates into our uh, government. This, we got to get rid of this chaos. So anyway, that's that's just my little blurb for the day. Make sure that you register to make sure that you do vote. Today's song that we're going out on is Woody Guthrie, and he's going to be doing This Land is My Land. This land is your land, and this land is my land, from the California to the New York Island, from the Redwood Forest. Gulf Stream waters This land was made for you and me As I went a-walkin' That ribbon of highway I saw above me That endless skyway Saw below me That golden valley This land was made for you and me I roamed and rambled and I followed my footsteps To the sparkling sands of her diamond deserts 
All around me a voice was sounding This land was made for you and me When the sun comes shining Then I was strolling And the wheat fields waving And the dust clouds rolling The voice was chanting As the fog was lifting This land was made for you and me This land is your land And this land is my land From California To the New York Island From Redwood Forest To the Gulf Stream waters This land was made for you and me When the sun comes shining Then I was strolling Wheat fields waving, the dust clouds rolling, the voice coming chanting, and the fog was lifting. This land was made for you and me.